you know my story and know know uh, about that. But it it was a period about seven years where I was out of ministry, and then luckily uh, a church in Troy, Kansas, took a chance on me. And I don't know what y'all were thinking, but I'm glad uh, glad you were blind or something, and and offered us the ministry. So we we've, we've been here, but for six and a half years of that seven years that I was out of ministry, I worked. I worked for a company called Midwest Paint Equipment, and what we did, uh, the guy I worked for, a guy named Barry Moorhead, some of you know him, and Barry's a good Christian guy. In fact, we uh, uh, we, we actually went to Ozark Christian College together, um, weren't, weren't necessarily friends, but at least knew each other's names before and knew one, knew of one another, but but I worked for Barry uh, at Midwest Paint Equipment, and, and my job was basically this, I went all over the Midwest working on, as you might guess, paint equipment, uh, repairing, installing, uh, maintaining uh, different types of uh, paint equipment, shakers uh, in the paint departments, the automatic tinners, the manual tinners, all that kind of um, all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of interesting how God how God just works things out in your life sometimes. Uh, uh, sometimes we don't see, sometimes we're not able to recognize God's hand uh, until later we're able to look and man god really blessed me but 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 the job i had for barry was one of those times where where god just worked it out and we we were immediately be able to we're able to see god's hand in it and we're just blessed by it i i met barry at a sunday school class at uh, central christian church where we were attending and 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 we started talking after class that one day and kind of kind of told a little bit about each other and then we realized that hey yeah, uh, we'd went to college together. We didn't recognize each other because we both had hair back in 1976 and 77 when we were in school together. Neither one of us have hair now, and we both had changed in other ways as well. But, but we got got talking, and and Barry asked what was going on, and I, I basically said, "Well, you know, I'm looking for a job. I'm out of ministry now." And Barry said, "Well, I own a company, and I'm looking to hire someone." I said, "Really?" And, and he asked me two questions. He, he he said, "Well, first, he said, are you very mechanical?" And uh, I'm like, oh. I said, no, I'm really, I'm really not. I, I change the oil in my car, and that's about it. Uh, you know, I, I can turn a wrench a little bit, but I'm, I'm not really mechanical. He said, okay, that's okay, that's okay. I can teach you that. I said, are you very computer savvy? I said, well, I, word processing. You know, I know how to, to to do word processing and just a teeny little bit of of computer stuff, but but not really. Uh, I, I went in uh, the next week for an interview, and, and lo and behold, I didn't get the job. <laughs> but but it was, what, three, four months later, I got a phone call from, from Barry. said, hey, are you interested? Are you still interested? And, and I was. And, and uh, you know, the truth is you can teach, uh, you can teach a monkey to, do, to play a piano. You can teach me to, to computer stuff and mechanical stuff. So I was able to do the job. But I remember this one time I was in Omaha, Nebraska, at a paint store, and I got a call from my boss, and he said, "Hey, we just got a call from the Diamond Vogel store. That's kind of a, a national brand of, of of paint. They're more up in Iowa, the headquarters in Iowa, I believe." And he said, "We got a call from this small Diamond Vogel store in Omaha. Uh, they, they've got a problem with the machine. Can you go there when you're done?" So I had no problem at all. So I finished where I was at, went to that store. I walked in, carried my my toolbox, and the the manager was thrilled to see me. He's like, "Wow, that was fast!" And I'm like, "Well, I was just..." just down the street, and, and he said, well, let me show you the machine. We walked to the back of the store, and he, he pointed out the machine in question, and he explained what was happening and what was going on and why it wasn't working, and, and, and we stood, I stood there holding my toolbox in one hand, and uh, in the other, hand, the other hand I had on my chin. I was kind of looking like, 
I was trying to give the impression that I was thinking, like, okay, now what's going to be my first step? What am I going to do now? Really, what I was thinking was, I hope he leaves. Uh, about that time, I heard the, the ding of the front door. It was a small store and only employee. Uh, and the ding, and he had to leave, go up front. And I'm like, because really what was going through my mind was this question. So, what now? The, the piece of equipment that he had led me to, I had never seen in my life. And, and, and you, t- you trained me how to fix something, I could fix it, but I'd never seen this before. I, to be honest, I had no idea where to start. You know, I could start taking stuff apart and pulling parts off, but I, I had no idea where, where to go. What, what now? But the truth was, I didn't know what to do, but I knew, I knew who I needed to talk to. I knew who had the answer. So I got on the phone, called my boss and said, Barry, this is what I'm looking at. What do I do? Uh, we've been, we've been talking over the last couple, couple weeks about, uh, 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 about Mark chapter 10 and what Jesus uh, talked about as as his life to, to serve, uh, not to be served, but to serve. And and we've been looking at a lot of cool stuff. We've been, we've been seeing a lot about Jesus' heart and his ministry. But there at least has to be a little bit of our question. Certainly it is for me that came naturally. It's so, so, so Jesus served. Uh, so, so Jesus didn't choose to, to be served like he should have been or could have been, but but he wants that's all well and good, but what now? What what do we do now with that knowledge of what Jesus did? What do, do what do we do? Two weeks ago we we looked at that point that G, that Jesus' followers were missing the point. And Jesus pointed out three quick thoughts. First of all, it's about people. Jesus, through his ministry, constantly let us know that his ministry was about people. It was about priorities. It wasn't what they could get from Jesus. It wasn't what they were going to be blessed with by knowing Jesus. It's what they could do for Jesus. And it was about purpose. What what was his purpose? We saw that from Mark chapter 10, verse 45, to serve and, and to give his life as a ransom. Last week, we looked at the second half of that thought, that they were missing the picture. Jesus had been showing them throughout his ministry, and particularly, if you just look at Mark chapter 10, uh, the, the moments leading up to this encounter, Jesus had been painting them a picture of exactly who he was and what was important. Jesus, see, in his life met physical needs. When Jesus saw people hurting, Jesus did something about it. Jesus also met relational needs. Uh, over and over and over again, Jesus broke down barriers, broke down barriers so that he could talk to people. And then Jesus met spiritual needs. See, the first two, meeting physical needs and meeting relational needs really are building to that last one, which is the most important to meet spiritual needs in people's lives. So, so we've talked about what in essence was the mission and, and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has, has pointed us to that. Uh, but what, what, what now? What, so what does that mean for us? We know that's who Jesus was. Okay, we've looked at the passage. We know what was going wrong with the disciples. But what do we do about that now? The, the world can see Jesus and, and they can think of him a, a number of different ways. The, the, the world can see him as a great teacher, a moral leader, a philosopher, a respected rabbi. We can choose to follow him or model our life after him or to refer to him in respectful terms or, or we can laugh at him. We can love him. We can hate him. We can ignore him. Or we can call on him just when we need him. But 
It doesn't matter what the world thinks, and it really doesn't matter what we think of Jesus. But what Jesus says of himself is this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. The verse that uh, that I mentioned two weeks ago is, is going to be our theme verse for this year. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And this is what Jesus says about himself. This is what he says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We've talked about these verses. We've, we've looked at this teaching of Jesus. But what are we supposed to do? I, w- I want to, over uh, uh, the next two weeks, today and, and next Sunday, look at two simple points, two simple ideas that are both found in verse 45. And here's the first one. Here's the first one we see. We see Jesus' ministry. We see his ministry. Uh, it is his practice. See, his ministry is his practice. It's it's what he did. Uh, scripture tells us that Jesus was God in the flesh. That 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 he was God in uh, in human form as well. So so he had the power of God. He could do miracles. He could could stop the winds. He could could, could give life to a dead person. Jesus had God in the flesh, but he also was limited. By, by being a human. For example, Jesus got hungry. We know a couple times he fed large groups of people, the 5,000, the 4,000. It doesn't say, but I assume that Jesus ate the meal with them. In part, I think he recognized their hunger because he'd been teaching all day and he was hungry. We know that Jesus got thirsty when he sat down at the well in Samaria. He asked the lady there for a drink of water. He was thirsty. We know that Jesus got tired. Many times he went off to a place by himself to rest and to pray, but he got physically tired. One time in the boat, he was asleep in the bow of the boat, and and a storm rose. So we know that Jesus got tired. Jesus was limited by all the physical things that we are limited to. And, And in addition to that, he was limited by time. Jesus had in every day 24 hours just like us. Uh, the reality was there must have been a pre-described time, a pre-prescribed time for Jesus' ministry, which turned out to be about three years. So Jesus had a limited time to do what he needed to do. And who could have fallen to Jesus if in the three years that he had, all he did was teach? Who, who, could, who could question Jesus if that's all that he did? He was so busy, had so much stuff to do. If all he did was tell stories, if all he did was give parables, if all he did was talk about his relationship with God and what our relationship, who could fault Jesus if all he did throughout his three years of ministry was constantly teach, and he did that, we have it recorded in the Gospels, Jesus did teach, but that's not all he did. Jesus also did ministry. See, Jesus saw. Church, this is what we're going to look at that, 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 that we need to apply to our life. The first thing we, we notice here is that Jesus saw several years ago, Reed and I, it's probably been 10, 12 years ago, Reed and I went to Southern California uh, for a, a long week, and we were there about four or five days. And, and Reed agreed to this. He wasn't as thrilled about it as I was. But we decided we were going to go to several mega churches in Southern California while we were there. So, so Friday night, we went to... Uh, I, I believe it was to Rick Warren Saddleback Church had a Friday night service. So Friday night we went to to, to Saddleback to see see and hear Rick Warren, and and that was a cool service. And and then uh, 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 on Saturday night I, bl- I believe we went to uh, a church called Mariners. Uh, 
uh, I was going there because the, their worship leader was a guy that had grown up about two houses down from me. He was quite a bit older than me, but, but he'd grown up a couple houses down. I'd worked for his dad uh, for, a, for a couple years, and, and I was excited to see him again. So we went to that church because of that. And, and then I believe it was Sunday night that we went to Shepherd of the Hills Church, a, a guy that Reed and I went to college with, Dudley Rutherford, was the pastor there, and it was a huge church. And so we went to these three churches over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. Sunday morning, we didn't skip church, so we went to church with her mom. Uh, but we went to these three mega churches, and and every one of those churches had similarities. Their their worship service was great. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, actually, all three churches were very friendly, even though they were were churches that had thousands of people. We walked in and we were greeted personally, and 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 asked if we had any questions, and pointed out where we could go for for vi- if we were visit all this kind. Of, we were we felt very welcome in all three churches. All three churches. The, the message that was given that day was, was great. It, I mean, it was right on point. It was, it was well done. But if I had to choose, when we were done going to those three services, if I'd had to choose which church I would go back to, if I moved to California and, and I've got to pick a church to attend, I would have chosen Mariners. Now, not because my neighbor's kid uh, was the worship minister there, but for this reason. Now, it might have been petty, might not have been the right reasoning, but but the other two churches, when the sermon was getting ready to start, they didn't have someone like Neil that looked out at the minister and said, hey, it's your turn, get up there. Both of those two churches had a, had a door open at the back of the stage, and the minister walked out from the back of the stage to the front and began to preach. Not, yeah, that's no big deal. But when the sermon was over and the last song was sung, the last prayer was given, both of those churches, the minister walked back to the back door and out to the back to not be seen. Now, now the one church where the guy I went to college with, we hung around. We just waited, and he's got to come out eventually and uh, ask about it, said, hey, we're college friends, and he eventually showed up, and we got to greet him. But, but the Mariner Church was different. It, it was a church of four or 5,000 at the service that night, but, but, but that preacher sat on the front row or second row, and he walked up, and when the service was over, he walked to one of the exits, and he stood talking to people and greeting them. Now, now maybe that doesn't amount to hill beans. But what would, what would Jesus, how, how, would, how would Jesus do that? See, Jesus saw, Jesus saw people. He often spoke to large groups of people. There, there were times when he was speaking to, when he fed the four and five thousand, he had spoke to them for hours. Jesus spoke to large groups when he, when he had the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus spoke to a hillside full of people, several hundred, if not several thousand people listened. Jesus spoke to people, but he never missed seeing people. Hold up Mark chapter 10 open and, and go with me, if you will, over to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Let's look at a couple verses there and, and we'll see this idea. Uh, another time, Mark chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Another time, He, Jesus, went into the synagogue. A man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him clearly or closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up here in front of everyone. Jesus asked him, which is lawful on Sabbath, to do good or evil, to save life or kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And to the man said, 
stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out. Now, this was a perfect moment for Jesus to teach. He's in a synagogue. Now, now it wouldn't have been very big. It's not like a, a mega church, so it would have been small, but it would have been packed with people. Uh, religious leaders were there. Common folk were there. This was the perfect time for Jesus to, to pull out one of his best sermons and teach. And he saw. He saw a man with a shriveled hand. Now, now apparently this guy wasn't asking to be healed. The text doesn't say that, that he came up to Jesus and tugged on his robe. It doesn't say that he ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees in front of him and begged him. We know from looking at it, they didn't drop him through the ceiling like happened one other time. The guy was just there. In fact, it was a shriveled hand. Maybe it had been injured. Maybe an oxen had stepped on his hand, and that's why it was shriveled up. Probably the guy was doing fine in life. He just had a bum hand, but, but Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it. Not only did Jesus see needs, he also, he also sought out to meet needs. Tony Campolo tells this story of a time when his son Bart was 10 years old. He said they flew to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and, and when they arrived at the airport and were making their way out of the airport to get in a cab to go to their hotel, he looked over at his son Bart, and, and Bart's eyes were just like saucers. He, he was just amazed at what he was seeing there. Some of you, the first time you go to Mexico and see some of the poverty, uh, you, your eyes were like that. you just like, Man, I can't believe that. Any of you that have traveled abroad, particularly on mission stuff where you see the real, the real poverty, your, your eyes are like that. And he said his son Bar's eyes were like that. When they got in the cabin, headed to the hotel, he watched his son. His, his son's uh, face was, was plastered to the side window just looking at the, the poverty, looking at all the children in the streets and, and just amazed by that. He said they got to the hotel and went up to the room and they were there for a little while and Bart finally, finally talked. He said, Dad, it's, that is, that, is, that is just so sad. Just so sad to see all those kids and all that poverty. And Campolo says it's then he kind of smiled to himself. Like, that's, see, that's why he had brought his son Bart to Haiti with him. He, he wanted Bart to experience that. He wanted Bart to see that and, and let that move his heart and change his heart. And so he thought, yes, I've, I've nailed it. I've, I've, what I wanted is going to happen. And a little bit later, they went downstairs and were walking a couple blocks from the hotel to get something to eat, and as they walked down the street, they began to be approached by, by the street children begging for money and asking for handouts and asking to help. And Capolo, as, as the kids started to, to, to surround them, Capolo just started walking a little bit faster, and that's when he looked over and he saw his son Bart, and, and, and Bart had reached into his pocket and was, was pulling out what little money he had. He didn't have a lot, but was pulling the money out of his pocket, and Tony leaned over and said, Bart, don't give him anything. If you give him some money. If you give one person money, they're going to bug you till you have nothing left. The Bolo says, my son taught me a valuable lesson when he looked up at me and said, said to me, so? So? Jesus, uh, Jesus didn't just see needs. He, he saw what was going on and then moved towards the need. Uh, Again, hold Mark chapter 10 open and, and go back now to the first chapter of the book of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 29. I want you to notice this text. Uh, early last week, I, 
I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to read through or just skim through the book of Mark, and I'm going to look for every time that Jesus met a need, every time Jesus did something. This was uh, really the second thing I came to, but, but when I got to this, I, I just I, I stopped. It's like, wow. Uh, chapter 1, verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. Okay, one thing you note there, something good about Peter. We give Peter a hard time, but, but Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and he cared. So, so we got to give Peter a little bit, a little bit of something there. But look at verse 31. Verse 31 is, the, I think, the key verse in here. Easy to miss this. So he went to her. So he went to her. Jesus had been teaching. Jesus had been traveling. Jesus had been doing a, a, a lot of ministry, working really hard. Uh, finally gets a chance to go to, to Peter's house and, and, and have a moment to relax and maybe breathe and get a bite to eat and kind of, kind of, kind of figure out what they're going to do next. And when he gets there, they say, Oh yeah, by the way, mom's sick. So he went to her. Jesus could have said, she'll be fine. Just a fever. She's probably got the influenza A. You give her about three days, the fever's going to break, and she'll be fine. Uh, give her a week for some of us that had the influenza A this winter so far. Jesus could say, she's going to be fine. Jesus could have just, Jesus could have just snapped his fingers. Okay, she's, she's healed. She's good. Get up and fix something for us now. But he went to her. He went to her. Um, see, Jesus saw needs, and then he sought to do something. He was moved. He leaned into the need and did something about it. Uh, a few years ago, we were in, some of us were in, uh, in Annapra over Christmas. Uh, we stopped at a convenience store there in Annapra to get a drink, and as we as we were coming out of the store, it was when we saw him. The guy's name was Martin. Kelly, you remember Martin? Uh, Martin was there, and uh, and Martin came up to us. Martin was the head uh, uh, parking lot attendant for this convenience store. And really what that meant is is they, they flag cars down, they help you back up, and they hope you're going to give them a tip. Uh, it was not an official job. Just guys do what they can do to get a few pesos, and that's what Martin was doing. So he approached us, and... And, and we, we knew the deal. You just, you just give them a few coins. They'll help you back out and everything's good. So I reached in my pocket. I had a, had a few pesos. I had a couple quarters and I just handed them to Martin like I've got it covered. And, and Martin then began to speak to us in, in broken English. Now it was broken English that was slurred with, uh, the fact that he was inebriated, um, and smelled very, very much of beer. And, but, but he began to speak to us. And I remember him asking, so, well, so, do, do, it's cold, and do you guys have anything for me? Do you have any any clothes? Do you have any socks? Do you have any blankets? And, and I'm thinking, I've never had anyone ask for that before. Usually you give them some pesos, and they're good. And, and then I thought, hey, I've got a blanket in the van. Rita, every time I go down at Christmas, Rita makes me take a blanket. I look like a sissy because I'm carrying a blanket with me to Mexico. But if we ever end up in a ditch, I'll thank her. So that blanket was in the back, and I'm like, I've got a blanket. So I went to the van, got the blanket, gave it to him, and I felt pretty good about myself. I thought, man, I'm, I'm doing good. I gave him a blanket. He's going to leave us alone, and we can be about our way. And he thanked me for the blanket. He said, hey, I'll be here tomorrow if you want to come back and bring me some clothes. 
And we, we left, and I think it was later that, that evening, or it might have been early the next morning, I don't remember, I was talking to one of our brothers that was with us, Bob Carpenter, and Bob, Bob's kind of a quiet guy, and Bob just kind of out of the blue said, uh, you know, we could buy some socks. We could get him a coat. And I, yeah, yeah. Bob had already pulled up on his phone the address for a, uh, a thrift shop in El Paso, just down Montana Avenue a little ways. And so, so we got in the van and went there. And I can't remember now if we, we found a little bit there, not too much, and went to Walmart and bought some socks and some other stuff. And see, see, it's one thing to see. It's another thing to seek to do something about it. Bob, Bob wasn't good with just handing the guy a blanket. He's like, you know, we can do a little bit more. There's a bigger need. See, Jesus didn't just see needs. He could have encouraged the man with the shriveled hand. He could have encouraged Peter's mother-in-law, but but he moved to do something about it. He sought out uh, an answer. And then and then he served. Jesus saw the need. He sought. He pressed in. Then he served. He did something about it. So, what now? See, it's great that we see Jesus and we realize what he did. But what now? What, what does that mean for us? What, what are we going to do about it? It's, th- does it affect us? Does it change us? Does it move us? Do, do we do things differently? Now, now, I want you to point back and remember the context from Mark chapter 10. We talked this, uh, about this a couple weeks ago. Mark chapter 10, remember what was going on? Peter and James had come to Jesus and said, hey, give us what we ask. And, and Jesus, already knowing what they were going to ask, said, you know, played along. Well, what do you want? One wanted to sit at the right hand, one wanted to sit at the left hand of Jesus. And, and Jesus boiled that down to, to impart what they were asking for. One, we pointed out they were actually asking to be, to be rich and to have finances. But, but the other thing he was asking for, they were asking for was, was they wanted to be great. They, they wanted to be special. They wanted to be known. They wanted people to look at them and respect them and to be remembered. Church, Jesus answered them by saying, well, if that's what you want, then this is what you do. You serve. Church, if we want to be great, if we want to be like Jesus, then we have the answer to that question. What now? Jesus Jesus gave it to us. He showed us. See, he, he gave us the idea. We see, we seek, we serve. Uh, two weeks ago, I got an email during the week from Jackie Payton. And Jackie sent me this email, and I, I asked her if I could share this with you this morning, and she said it was okay. I, I, uh, I got an email from Jackie, and she said, hey, man, I was excited at church when you talked about the theme for this year, uh, but, but to serve. And she said, I was excited because, because that's kind of my personal goal for this year. I decided for myself that that's my theme for my year, that I was going to live that way. So I'm really excited about that. A few days later, we'd exchanged a couple other emails and Jackie sent me this email. And in this email, she said this, and I'm doing some brainstorming with a friend regarding possible service opportunities. More to come. That's how she left the church. This is what I'm asking us to do. This is where we apply it. This is where we, we put it into action. We need to see. We need to open our eyes and live intentional. Is there someone I can serve? Is there someone I can bless? Is there someone 
I can make a difference for? Well, if there is, we have to first see them. It, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be earth-shattering. Uh, F.B. Meyer says this, Don't waste your time waiting and longing for large opportunities which may never come, but faithfully handle the little things that are always claiming your attention. Don't look for that big opportunity. It might come. It may never come. But see the small things that you can do to make a difference. I, uh, I decided to add this illustration this morning because I knew this person was going to be here. So they, they may never come back. In fact, they, they shouldn't come back only if weather's bad. But, but we have some visitors. They, Pat and Vicki Sampson, um, they canceled church in Barnard today just so Pat and Vicki could be here with us today. So we appreciate Barnard doing that. But, but Vicki is the poster child, Pat's wife, is the poster child for doing small things. And that's not, that's, that's all she does is small things, but, but she excels at the little stuff. Vicki uh, has a ministry where she sends cards to people. I, I, I've actually mentioned her before in a sermon where, where, where I know people that she sent a card to almost weekly for years for some people that struggle with some health issues, with some cancer and treatment. And, and Vicki does that all the time. Vicki Vicky is a great cook and, and a great baker. And she has a ministry where she bakes cakes for people and cookies. Uh, our, our, we're the beneficiary of this. Our son, Joel, went to school and graduated with her uh, her uh, son, Sean. And and so somehow she knew Joel's birthday. So every every day or every time it was Joel's birthday, she would send some sugar cookies home with Rita. She'd drop them off the bank for Joel's birthday. And, and now anytime she knows that she, he's coming home, Joel's coming home next weekend, Vicky. But he isn't, but she doesn't know that. <laughs> but when she knows he's coming, she'll, she'll bake some cookies and take him to Rita. Uh, and, and so she knows something special is going on, like your birthday. Go and put it in your phone, May 16th. Vicky is my birthday. Uh, June 23rd is my anniversary. Rita's birthday is July 22nd. Those are all important days. You might want to just drop. No, don't do that. No, really do. Uh, but. But you may be asking yourself, well, what, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. But, you know, every one of us can send a card. We can write an email. We can speak a word of encouragement to someone. Not all of us can bake some cookies, but a lot of us can. Can do things that make a difference. See, we have to see, then we have to seek. See, it's time that we stop saying, I'll pray for you. Doesn't mean that. That, that we don't, we need to pray for people and situations, but it's time that we stop only saying, I'll pray for you, and start moving towards doing something. Church, it's time that we start coming up with ministry ideas. My, my, my goal, my plan, my dream is that this year we'll add two or three ministries to our church. Two or three things that become a part of this church. And, and can I just say this? I don't, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I want you to take it the, the way that I mean it, and, and maybe it's a little bit rough, the way I mean it. Church, it's time for you to start coming up with ideas. I, I sit and dream all the time. Well, what, what can we do? What can we serve? And that's great. But you know what? It's time for people in the church to say, you know what? Here's an idea. Just like Jackie was saying, brainstorming. What can I come up with? And she, she shared a couple of ideas. What can we do? And, 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 ha- and can I grab a couple of my friends in the church? And, and we make this a ministry. We, we become a ministry of the church. Church, church, it's time that we start not just seeing but moving to what we need to do. Brandon Hatmaker in his book, A Mile Wide, says this. 
we often are asked, he's talking about himself and his wife, we're often asked, how do we know if what we're doing is right? In a world where sometimes our helping can actually and eventually hurt, how do we know we're serving the right way? And his answer to that question, he said, is this. If in how you're serving, you're extending dignity to the person you're serving, you're doing it right. Church, I don't care if you're serving a ministry in the church, if you're partnering with some other ministry, partnering with some other church, doing just something on your own. We need to start leaning into ministries and then and then serving. That's what it's about, serving. Sarah Wright wanted to be a missionary to Africa. She uh, went to college and was was learning language and also studying to be a nurse. And she thought, so with that kind of ministry, with that kind of background, she can go to Africa and she can make a real difference. She can learn languages quickly and she can use her medical training to meet the needs of the people in Africa. But while she was in college in Kentucky, she on weekends began to volunteer for some of the poorest people in our country, some of the people up in the in the hollers, in the mountains, in the backwoods of Kentucky. And so on weekends, she would go up there and try to meet their needs and, and volunteer and helping out. It was while she was doing that that she came in contact with and contracted tuberculosis. She ended up being treated for that, but because of that diagnosis, her, her denomination's mission board said, well, you can never go abroad to be a missionary. She was, as you might guess, very... Uh, despondent, very upset, very disappointed. But she didn't become bitter. Instead, she went back to school now and changing her focus to be a teacher. And once she got her certificate, she moved to Mississippi and to, to some of the poorest districts in Mississippi, she began to teach school. She had always dreamed of getting married and having children, but somehow that just didn't happen for her. And so after years of of simply living and serving, years of just doing what God had asked and called her to do, the Lord called her home. Some might have looked at her and said, well, that goal of of being a missionary to Africa, she never met that goal. But the truth was, in a small way, person by person, child by child, family by family, she had made a difference by serving those that needed it. So what now? What now? Would you bow with me? Father, thank you that the teaching of Jesus is plain and clear. We, we muddle it up. We mess it up. We complicate it. We parse it so much so that sometimes we don't even recognize or he wouldn't recognize his own ministry, his own teaching. But Father, it's very plain. Jesus said of himself, he came not to be served, but to serve. Father, you call us to serve. You call us to ministry. Father, uh, I, I pray that we can open our eyes, that we can seek, and then we can have a heart of service. Lord, give us as individuals, give us as a church those opportunities. Use us to be like Jesus. In his name, amen.